DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Okay, and I'm going to read the question out loud, and then I'll speak to it. And thank you all for your, for your questions. I really appreciate it. I'm a member of the North Carolina Association of Certified Public Accountants, and recently members have concerns regarding DEI questions on the membership renewal. I do understand that there are a few few minorities in the association, and the association is trying to reach all communities in the profession. I am a minority member, and I am saddened by the tons of comments from professionals. How can the NCACPA approach this to its members who compromise DEI as a race initiative. Yeah, this is, we face this a lot, quite frankly. And um, and I got to tell you, one of the reasons why this is so is because that is really part of the political narrative that's trying to create uh, division wherever possible uh, in kind of that political kind of power grab. And it doesn't matter to me if you're Republican, independent, Democrat, like that's just what's happening. The reality is that we have to do this. We have to talk about DEI and the construct of the kaleidoscope. And so a lot of times, the first things I talk about with diversity, equity, inclusion is not race at all, right? I usually start and talk about things like generational DEI because one can really quickly understand and is universal 
if someone is Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, and we talk about those different points of view, I also talk about personality types, introvert, extrovert, right? I talk about the gender differences in the workplace and how do people feel about that? Usually when one talks about race early in the DEI conversation, a lot of times people get really defensive because they don't want to be associated with the term racist. They don't want to be uh, associated with things in our past as a country that are really tough to deal with, right? And, and discuss in an open-minded way. And those things are hard. But diversity, equity, inclusion is a broad construct. And the, and the reality is what I found very successful is when I talk about DEI in the framework of how it's going to do three things, make the business money, save the business money, or reduce the business's risk. So here's an example for all the financial folks here, and we'll talk about risk mitigation for a minute, right? A lot of times folks are like, well, why do I need to understand these pronouns? Why can't I say, uh, hey guys, if the women in my office aren't associated with it? Well, the way you talk to folks in today's business landscape is really important because litigation is growing. And people are experiencing microaggressions, workplace trauma, uh, tension and mental uh, health instability in the workplace. Sometimes they go to HR, sometimes they keep to themselves, and sometimes they find a lawyer. And it is much more expensive for an organization when you don't have any diversity, equity, inclusion infrastructure in the business. And it is much easier to do preventative maintenance by treating people better, by listening, being open, than for a lot of the litigation that's going on when people are not as um, thoughtful in their communication with others. And so those are some things that I'm seeing. But yes, I appreciate the question very much. And I am aware of some of those challenges that, that, that you're facing. And unfortunately, I see them quite a bit. But those are a couple of things that I wanted to share. What's changed with the pre-pandemic diversity programs versus the post-pandemic DEI programs? A couple things that, that I would, would answer that and, and speak to that. So one, I would say that the pandemic in general, right, for employees within organizations, there was an awakening. People are now thinking about their full work-life integration. People more than ever are focused on their mental health and well-being. People are looking at their belonging and their job fulfillment as equal, if not more important than the financial uh, implications that you know, one gets from a, from a job. And so what's occurring in terms of the DEI work you know, before and after the pandemic is because people are thinking more about self, right? And, and, and I don't necessarily mean in a selfish way against other people, but in a way of they're looking for a place where they can feel whole and properly integrate work into their life. There's a higher expectation on management and leadership to treat people well. And that expectation is not going away. And so we're seeing within the workplace, right, not just DEI specifically, but in the workplace, that employees are no longer tolerating an environment that is just purely command and control, right? Do this the way I say, I pay you the money, right? Work till the job is, is, is done, all those kind of things, which are, which are fine, 
but they're not fine for everyone anymore. And because during the pandemic, there was also uh, a shrinking in the number of people that were available uh, in the workplace, the talent wars got super competitive. Some of that's being offset a little bit by some of the economic environment and challenges that we're all facing. Uh, but I will say that employee empowerment is what has changed. And then as a result, people have more demands about how well they're treated in an organization. And is that promise true uh, on a daily basis? And if it's not, people will leave pretty quickly. And so I think the pressure on DEI programming to really uh, produce measurable results is critical. And then I think the other thing that's different in post-pandemic is that a lot of leaders and organizations are really, really scared of saying and doing the right thing. So there's a lot of folks that are still sitting on the sidelines because of the impact, the backlash, right? The inability to practice and grow without penalty. And so that's another thing that I think has changed. But I'll think some more about that as we talk. But those are some of the, the highlight items uh, that I see. And I've got a lot more questions rolling on. So this is really good. Um, is it being suggested that I should compromise my values to appease someone else? Not at all. I, I appreciate you asking that question because if I implied that, if I said that, I don't think I did. Um, but if I implied that, it's absolutely not what we're saying, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's focus on inclusion, right? Inclusion is not just for me because I'm an African-American male, right? Inclusion is not for you if you're a Christian and I'm atheist. Inclusion means that our differences should be celebrated and respected. So what diversity, equity, inclusion should be doing is creating an openness for other points of views. That doesn't mean you have to adopt them. That means you shouldn't belittle them. That means that people shouldn't face backlash if they don't agree the same way that you do. That means that if someone celebrates uh, Christmas as a holiday, that should be respected. They should be able to get time off. And if someone doesn't believe in uh, in in religious holidays, right? So in no way am I prescribing, or we do in the diversity movement, that you should appease someone else, but you should work to develop understanding of others so you can lead them in the workplace. And that's very important. And one of the things that is super valuable is the more you have an understanding of people's perspectives, right? The more you know what makes them tick, what makes your uh, workplace valuable to them how they can be productive there. And at the end of the day, when you look at diversity, equity, inclusion, as I do through a business lens, it's about how do you create an environment where your, your business can grow and thrive. And so thank you so much for that, that question. Um, and I hope I clarified that. And if not, please like catch me off offline because I, I think that's a very important question. And I, and I, and I very much appreciate that, that you asked it. DEI is trending in today's work environment though I'm not saying that it's just a trend, but what significant actions can leadership take to really make employees feel that DEI initiatives are not just empty actions or lip service? Good. To those that it would appear to benefit, as well as show that it's a benefit to all those, it might not appear to be a benefit. So I got lost a little bit at the end, but I think the big thing that I understand from the question is empty promises, and then lip service, right, to kind of appease or pacify one group of the organization. Um, one of the things that where we start to go a little sideways in the workplace, I think, with DEI is when it becomes more of a social justice set of initiatives versus a set of initiatives that help the business grow and win in the marketplace, that it helps increase innovation, 
right? That it helps increase acquiring new clients. So let's look at DEI from a marketing standpoint, right? So I was talking to a, um, a financial executive. He asked kind of point blank something similar to that, right? And, and I know the company pretty well. And I said, let me answer it this way, right? You are a financial institution. The LGBTQ community has $1.4 trillion worth of buying power. Do you want to make those car loans, home loans, investment loans, or not? He said, well, of course I do. I said, well, then we need to create an environment, right, that everyone will feel welcome, right, in your advertising, your branch, in your communication, in your membership engagement. And that's how we had a conversation about growing market share, not necessarily creating an environment right, where everyone in their organization has to believe the same way. Those are two different things. But we're in business to grow our businesses. We're in business to sell more cars. We're in business to uh, sell more hamburgers, right, if we're in the fast food business or the fast casual business, things of that nature. And so I think that when we look at how do we create DEI as an offshoot of our strategy of our business goals, I think this is one of the ways that we can think about it as a brand building, as a market. The other thing is in terms of, you know, our employee base and our retention and the growth of our employees, right? It really depends on how well your DEI, your leadership and your DEI leaders, right, understand your business, right? You may have a lot of frontline professionals, right? Well, frontline professionals have a much different work environment, right? If somebody's on the construction side, if somebody is in a retail store, somebody is in, uh, you know, Fresh Market is one of the clients of the diversity movement, have 13,000 employees, but the dominant number of those employees are frontline professionals, right? And so these frontline professionals from all different walks of life, so if you're a store manager, right? It's not really a function that you need to agree with everything in this DEI Bible. It's really a function of, can you work with, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds that are working a part-time job? Can you work with someone that's a single parent? Can you work with someone that has a learning disability and what kind of jobs can they do, right? And all of these different things lend yourself to being a better leader and thus then creating a better employee experience so you get more return customers and you make more money. And so again, wonderful, wonderful question. I'm a white male executive throughout my career, going back 30 years. I always recognized would not be successful if I put a bunch of people that look like me and think like me around me. So I've done that. But as an executive, how do I think of myself as a white male and my place in the workforce? Let me answer it or, or think about it like this. First and foremost, you're a business leader. And the biggest thing that you can do as a, as a white male in the DEI work, and, and, and this is not from a race perspective or just a gender perspective, but if we think about the power structure in our country, right? It is white male dominant. That's just a, that's just a, a, a fact, right? That doesn't mean that anybody's done it. Like, it's just a fact. So then to be an advocate and to continue to work for growth of your business and surrounding yourself with diverse uh, groups of folks like you've described, Continue your own personal learning and training. Continue to be an example, 
continue to work on being that better, more inclusive leader, just like you are. There's no magic wand, right? We can't, I'll, I'll use me as an example, right? Uh, I've been successful by any, you know, most standards, right? Sold a couple companies, right? I've, I've done well. I've grown some companies, all this stuff, right? I do executive coaching for leaders and I've written a book and, you know, all of this stuff, right? Well, 10 years ago, I was moving forward in my career, but I was a much more command and control type leader. I was much more, uh, one could use the word a little crisp, right, with my communication. And so I had to decide as a leader, did I want to be the best I could be for the people around me? Or did I want to just get a job done, get my money and move on? And I decided, and I was working with an executive coach at the time that simply said this, Don, you've succeeded in a couple things. How successful could you be if you worked on your interpersonal skills, if you worked on your language skills to where you could relate to more and different and broader groups of people that you could lead? And that was an aha moment for me. I didn't try to change every single thing about me all at once, but I was very thoughtful and started to change and alter how I delivered feedback how I was more complimentary versus just looking at what was wrong with a presentation or important. And I worked on me. And so I would tell you that you as a leader, that the gentleman that asked this question, just continue to work on you. And from your perch as a leader, right, here's the kicker. Find folks in your organization, right, to help mentor and sponsor for their future growth. And that's another way that you can be a very, very significant impact in the DEI space. Do you believe there are different types or qualities of DEI training? Yes. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Absolutely. It seems some DEI movements initiatives are more modest in their proposal, i.e. various kinds of people's good. And some are more ideological conversations around power, oppression, gender, identity. There are differences. Uh, and, and that's a good thing, right? You just have to know what's right for you and your organization. When we founded the diversity movement, uh, myself and, and, and a couple of partners, and we've grown our organization, one of the reasons people like to work with us, they've selected us, is we're not focused exclusively, right, on everything someone's done wrong in the past. We're not trying to have a racial awakening conversation every time we're talking about DEI. We're not trying to talk about how men have oppressed women for the last 400 years, right? What we are trying to do is we're not ignoring those things, but we're not making those things the specific intentional focus of the work that we do. We have decided at the diversity movement that the focus of what we do is to build better workplaces for everyone. And then how we build better workplaces is by educating, right, those folks that are leading the business of how they can be better leaders and grow, right, their revenue, reduce their costs, and reduce their risks. And we decided to have a business conversation and introduce diversity, equity, inclusion in the flow of work. There are organizations that are much more about racial justice. There are organizations that are exclusively focused on LGBTQ plus issues in the workplace, right? We are more of that kaleidoscope with the central focus of building that winning workplace. 
and creating that environment where you can win at work no matter what your background is. That was a very deliberate business choice of what we decided to do. So you as the consumer of tools and technologies and training have to choose where your organization is and what you want from diversity, equity, inclusion, and what's best for your business, right? And I think that's a very important distinction, right, in terms of who you choose to partner with. Um, so, so one, great question. Two, there are definitely different flavors. And number three, our focus is really on how do we improve the bottom line, right? How do we grow? And that's one of the reasons we wanted to be a for-profit business ourselves so that we could put ourselves in the mind of the business leader, the business uh, executive in terms of the tough decisions that have to be made as you figure out how to grow and, and prosper. Uh, last question. A friend of mine was hiring for a position on her team. The HR rep told her she had to hire somebody, someone, excuse me, uh, gender diverse to enhance the company's diversity statistics. How do you address or respond to this situation? Understand that the interview pool should be diverse, but how does that translate to actual hiring processes? I'm going to pause and just choose words carefully because we're talking about an HR piece, but here's what I'll say strongly. We're not in the quotas in puffing up statistics. We don't think it's good or lasting. We are very strong in encouraging broadening hiring pools, slowing down the hire if the pool of applicants was not broad and diverse, and then the best candidate should win the job. We try to do that ourselves within the diversity movement. We encourage our clients to do that. And I do understand that um, pressure that people are getting and, and the way things look optically. But I will tell you, as someone from a uh, diverse group, when I'm looking at companies to partner with, invest in, uh, to be employed by uh, when, when I was in that role, I already know that companies' DEI metrics aren't going to be great, great by and large. I'm really looking at what they're doing about it, how authentic they are about it, and what the leadership commitment is to it. And I think that people that are looking for shortcuts aren't playing the long game, and that'll get found out, publicized, and it's just not, it's not good. Um, I understand the reason and people feel that pressure, but um, that's not something that we promote to our clients. Um, it is much more valuable to promote, describe, to amplify the things that you're doing in a natural, organic way. And I think people will give you that credit and that space to get things right. Uh, a lot of questions that I get from, uh, we work a lot with marketing communication firms as well, uh, advertising firms that are very uh, homogeneous, right? I mean, in a significant way. And the question comes, you know, Don, you know, how do I create a diverse environment where my whole team is white, majority of my team's white. Look at your supplier diversity, even to the point of as small as who are you bringing in, right, for uh, to, to cater your lunch when you're doing a company event. When you're buying your gifts, right, for your team at the end of the year, right, who have you recruited to, to do that, right? When you're looking at your lawyer, your CPA, your different firms, Right? Are you asking that when you're when those are up for review, your marketing organizations, are you asking on your RFPs what the DEI uh, process and makeup of those organizations are? There's a lot of ways that you can be top of mind with DEI while you're working on the diversity of your core team. And it can be top of mind and it can be smart 
uh, in, in, in the flow of the business.